0: Brother Tommy, uh, he's asked me, I'm just going to give a very brief explanation about this man. Brother Tommy uh, grew up, as he would say, with his with his mother being a holy roller. That's the way he describes her. And uh, just passionate for the things of God, for the move of God, for the spirit of God. And as a young boy, he was dragged to all the Catherine Kuhlman meetings. Uh, you know, all, all, William Branham, he's met William Branham a few times. And uh, out of that, childhood and out of that growing up God put it on his heart who of you know about Azusa Street revival 100 years ago pretty much everybody okay they said it would happen again in 100 years and um, and so God put it on his heart when he was a young man to go around and find all the children now there's something called the Shekinah glory I know if you've been in this church you know what that is the Shekinah glory the cloud of God's presence used to rest in that revival so powerfully that the children would play hide and go seek that was reported in the newspaper. That's a fact. They would play it in the glory cloud of the Lord. And so he went and found all these children and some of the teenagers who had Azusa Street, and he went and found them and sat with them 20, 30, 40 years I'm not sure over the years, found them and, and heard their stories, first-hand accounts, and some of the people they prayed for. Then he went and found some of the people that they prayed for that were healed by the kids and interviewed them. And many of them had started churches and their own moves of God and so forth. And he documented all of this. He's written a few books about it. But God wouldn't let him speak about it, wouldn't let him share about it. God had him do it and then said, don't tell others, don't tell others for, I think, about 40 years. I'm not sure. And it's about 40 years. And then the Lord all of a sudden said, now, I want you to write this book and I want you to release these stories. And he didn't know why. He just said, Sure, he's a very, and I don't, it's not a derogatory term, it's a good term. He said to me yesterday, I'm just a simple farm boy. And it's very simple, and when I speak to him, I'm reminded just to have faith like a child. And uh, God said to him, I want you to do it now. And he said, why now? And his friend pointed out, it was 100 years to the day that Azusa Street started. And so he started to travel and share, and he's rubbed shoulders with guys like Bill Johnson and uh, and R. W. Schambach, William Branham, Catherine Kuhlman. Some of you might know some of these names. He's Obviously, I think I'm a student of revival until I met him. He's really a student of revival. He grew up in them. And and then, you know, he's traveled around telling the stories, and uh, he loves to pray for impartation for people. Now, let me just say this. I met with him yesterday for an hour and a half. I just left just so stirred. And I'm going to ask you, don't put any boxes on him. Just let it go. That's the best way I can explain life. Just let it go. Just don't try figure everything out. Just listen. The stories are real. They're true. Some of the stories are so supernatural. Even I've grown up seeing the power of God, seeing deliverance, seeing God move, seeing... Ladies speak like men when they get delivered. That's in their house. It's not my fault. It was their fault. But I saw it's my parents. I grew up seeing stuff that many people don't see. And so for me, I would expect to hear these stories and think, well, that's, I'm telling you, some of the stories I've heard, it's just so supernatural. It's so out of the box. But they're absolutely true. And these are, these are things that God, friends, did in this nation. And often we say, God, come. We want you to come. But we want to tell him how to come, when to come, what to do, what not to do. Just doesn't work. He's either God or he's not. So can we give him open hearts? He's going to maybe press you past your comfortable spaces, which is fantastic. Uh, many long
1: years ago, I would have not have climb those stairs. I would need a little jog up here and leaped and jumped up here on this. But believe me, that was a long time ago. And uh, I, uh, like he said, I was raised on the farm. But my mother had a word from God when she was pregnant with me. God telling her that one day, The child you're carrying is a male child, and he will be a preacher man someday. And when I got into rebellion and acting like an idiot, some some of us kids, I agree with old Cosby, are brain damaged. But thank God for mothers that are stubborn and will hang on and not give up. No matter what i done, she, listen, when I got to California, it was in Venice Beach. Now, I look back over the decades, and to my amazement, nothing is coincidental. God had this all planned out from the beginning. So, I, I didn't have that much to do with it, except obey. Now, listen. I got kicked out of that house I was with, and I was back out on the streets, in an entirely different world, folks. The teenagers in in, in Oklahoma were different from the teenagers in 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 Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm going to tell you now, them them guys were, oh, they were weird. Cause I didn't never dawned on me that I was the one that was weird, but uh. I was sitting there on Venice Beach, had my boots off, running my feet through the sand. It's really beautiful there on that beach. It's really a beautiful beach. And I'm, I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself, looking down on uh, Venice Boulevard. And these two older ladies came out of the apartment complex where I was staying. And one of them I recognized as the landlord. And the other one later on, I I got her in my book. Her name was Sister Goldie. And uh, they started up Venice Beach, and I could see they were headed straight for me. And I knew they were going to try to win me to the Lord. And I knew they were holiness. Now back back then in the old days, Pentecostal women and hold, they wore these glory buns. The, the married ones did, the old ones. And 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 and. They both had glory buns, so I knew they were coming after me. Well, I got in my mode of operanda, you know, what I wanted to, it. was about 5 o'clock in the evening, and I was getting hungry. And I thought if I played up to them, they'd give me something to eat or give me some money to buy some. So I played along with them. Do you think it was coincidental that both of them women were what we call Azusa Street Saints? When they were kids, they went to the Azusa Street Revival. No, God had them planted there for me. And they came up and one sat on each side of me, both held my hands and they were like my old grandmas and I liked that. And then they wanted me to say the sinner's prayer. I wanted something to eat so I said, okay. Now, God, I'm going to tell you all something. I was not sincere, but I said that prayer. It, as soon as it ended, it's like a, a oven went off in my chest. It got hot, and I started to tremble. I started crying. I looked down at Sister Goldie, and I said, in astonishment, God would save me? I said, I'm a Christian. It, it, you know, she said, yes, we know. Well, Sister Goldie had called Brother Smith and asked him, and this boy is this teenager is, is 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 homeless. He needs a place to stay. Can we bring him over? And Smith said he just said just a minute. God, he said yes, bring him over. Now, the next morning, Sister Goldie came over and took me on a, almost a three-hour trip from uh, Venice Beach to Highland Park. Now, Highland Park is East LA. Matter of fact, it sits right between Pasadena and Eagle Rock. And it goes into the San Gabriel Mountains. Beautiful. And she started telling me these stories. About a place called Azusa Street. Now I knew about Azusa Street. Mama talked about it. A lot of those old healing evangelists would talk about it. I'm listening to it. Fine with me. But she told me. And I started getting mind boggled. I'm a storyteller. I love to listen to stories, and I love to tell them. I've had some say, but Brother Tommy, you 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 make them so colorful. I says, I know I'm a storyteller. That's what we do. We tell stories, and I want you to see what I see. When those people started telling me their stories, I would see what they were saying. Now, she told me at this place I was going to, they had a lot of, her friends were there. They had grown old, retired, and had gone to Pisgah and rented an apartment. And they were still in good health. Matter of fact, I only, only seen one of them getting sick. And that was just before he died and he wanted to go on home with be at the Lord. He didn't want to be healed. And uh, Mother... Uh, Riggs, she just wanted to go home. She wasn't sick. She just wanted to go home. She's almost 100 years old. And I I said they can tell me stories. Yeah, well, I'm a storyteller. I was all excited. I got there and I got to meet them. I didn't know that some of the biggies in Pentecost of that time were coming to Pinsca trying to get them to tell them their stories. No, God will show us who to tell the stories to. See, God knows what's going to happen. He knows what's going to be done. He didn't want those stories told until 2006. Well, all those people who wanted that, they wouldn't be here. They're too old. I'm a 17-year-old kid. Now, guys, back then, you weren't an adult until you was 21. You couldn't even vote until you was 21. And I wanted to hear the stories. I'd been saved, but they didn't want to tell the stories to me. They said I was the one, but they wanted me first to receive the baptism. Now, I didn't want the Holy Ghost. I didn't want the tongue thing because I didn't like the Holy Ghost. He wasn't very nice to me when I was young. I couldn't get away with anything. I'd come home, and my mother would rattle off what I'd done, and nobody else could have told her. And I, so many times at first, how you know? The Holy Ghost told me. So I got mad one time when I was a whole five years old, and I bled her up. Well, you know what I think about the Holy Ghost? She put her hands on her hips and said, no, what do you think? I said, I think he's a rat fink. <laughs> I should not have said that. Now, I'm here at Pisgah and I don't want to speak in tongues because then you have the Holy Ghost. I didn't want him. Even when I was little and my mother would take me to Branham meetings, he'd get up and use the gift of knowledge. I'd say, it's the Holy Ghost telling him that stuff. He yes, well, I didn't, I, I didn't think much of Branham at first. What he tell on you? That man had the most keenest gift of knowledge I have ever seen. He never did miss. Period. Even in prophecies, he never missed. But he tell on you, and some things I done I didn't want told. And uh, Brandon turned you out. But here I am at this place and I I didn't want the tongue thing so Laura Lancroft I believe she got a little wisdom from the Lord she came to me and says Tommy there's something I'd like for you to do for me if you think you're man enough I'm 17 years old I thought I was already a man I said what do you want she says I want you to read the ninth chapter of revelations and see if you want to go through that well I'll do that I read it, and it scared the tulies out of me. All these things fall on you, these things stinging you, want the kid you, and you can't die. But I kept reading, and I found, I found an escape. Those that had the name of God on their foreheads, this wouldn't happen to them. So I went running for Laura. And I said, Laura, how you get the name of God in your forehead? And she smiled real sweet. And says. As soon as you get that tongue thing. (laughs) So I started wanting the tongue thing. Within two days I had it. I wanted the name of God on my forehead. Well they waited about a month to see if I I really had the real thing. They decided I did and they started telling me those stories. I was ready. I loved stories. And man I'm going to tell you something. They told me some stories. Now some say did you have a hard time believing him? I said, Lord, no. My, my mother dragged me to the healing of it, and I've seen the same things with the healing evangelist. You know I mean, Branham and Roberts, Allen Cole, Jaggers. Jaggers, a lot of them never heard of Jaggers, but I did. And uh, a lot of them didn't know that uh, Kenneth Hagin, Sr., was amongst the healing evangelist one of the biggest. I liked him the best because he sounded more country to me. I started listening to them. They said, Tommy, is there anything you would like to eat or drink? I said, yeah, I like chocolate chip cookies and cold milk. (laughs) And all but two of them, that's what they would have. Two chocolate chip cookies and cold milk. Now, there's one I wouldn't eat dinner at Pisgah that night. I'd wait, and I made my dinner on her chocolate chip cookies, and that was Mother Riggs, the mother of Ralph Riggs. She cooked the size of a pancake and about an inch thick. And oh, my, you could smell them things 100 feet from her door. She made the best chocolate chip cookies I've ever eaten. Now, I would start out with them. Now, tell me the greatest miracle you remember that you ever participated in that God used you to bless somebody at Azusa Street. And the first amazing one I was, was with was Sister Carney. Now, if those that's had my book and read it, you know who I'm talking about. Sister Carney's best was with a lady with the, with, with the rag on the side of her head. She'd come in, and it was bloody, it was dirty. But she'd come in, you could see she was in tremendous pain. And Sister Carney, at the time, was, she'd gotten a lot older. She was 17 years old, same age I was when I came to Pisgah. She says, Sister, I can see you're in a lot of pain. And she told her what had happened. see, the night before, that woman had caught her husband with another man. And the wife and the other woman had gotten into a fight. And the other woman had bit her ear off. And she was hurting. Sister Carney says she raised that rag and looked at it and says, looked like just a piece of raw meat upside her head. No ear. So she put it down and prayed. Quickly, because she could see she was hurting. And the woman says, it's tingling. Oh, the pain's all gone. So Sister Carney grabbed it and raised it back up. <clears throat> and she said, Tommy, right in front of my eyes, this ear just grew out. Completely grew out of the side of her head. I'd call that supernatural. I call that a miracle. And she said, Oh my God, I put the right she says. After that, I had no problem seeing miracles. And, and, and I never got to see that woman, but she told about a man in a wheelchair. The wheelchair has all, the, the the wheels were all wood. And he had these huge metal braces on his legs. And they pushed him down there and she, she came up to him and she had a little rule. Sister Carney kind of led the other teenagers and kids. No one appointed her uh, over them, but she kind of ruled the noose, you know, she kind of, and it was not faith. If you didn't, someone in a wheelchair, you first gently picked up their their feet, put the flaps up, put their feet on the ground, because you pray for them, they're going to get up. And it's hard to do it when you're sitting in a wheelchair with those flaps up there. She put them up, pray for them, now get up and walk in Jesus' name. He said, "I can't. These, these these braces are too heavy." She said, "Oh, well, some of you men come over and take these braces off." They came over and took the braces off. She said, "Now I said, in Jesus' name, get up and walk." He didn't get up. He jumped up. And it, it, you know, They had a good shout and good time. I got to meet the man. He was a big had a big work there in Los Angeles called Wings called. Uh, Sky pilot program, his name was Aubrey Lee. His choir leader was a pretty, pretty well-known songwriter at the time. Her name was Doris Akers. She wrote such songs as Walking Up the King's Highway. There's a sweet, sweet spirit in this place. And she's just as sweet as that song. I got to talk to Aubrey many times. He said, I was just a kid, Tommy. When Sister Carney prayed for me, he'd come over to Pisgah quite often. He, wanted to, he still wanted to talk to Sister Carney and meet some of his old friends at Azusa Street. And uh, one of the other biggies was, was Brother Anderson. When I asked him his, his big story, he, he always told the story. The, the biggest was of Sister Diane. I got to meet her and got well acquainted with her. Sister Diane had a tumor, huge tumor outside of her face. She'd had, left hand, she'd have to carry it because she'd walk and bounce and it would hurt. So she'd carry it. Well, it got malignant and the doctor told her she had, she had just a few months to live. Well, she didn't live just a little way from Azusa Street. In fact, she's the first one to call the fire department and tell them that old warehouse was on fire. When the flames would shoot out of the roof, she thought it was on fire. And the fire department came down there with the hoses and the axes and looked around. They said, what are you doing? They said, well, this place is on fire. The roof is on fire. They said, oh, well, do you see any smoke or smell?" No. Come outside. They came outside and said, oh, that's just Chicana kind of glory. That's like Moses in the burning bush. Well, they finally got them convinced. And it finally got to where that would happen again. And someone would call. They'd say, No, that's the kind of glory. That's like Moses in the burning bush. It's not real fire. Stop calling us. They wouldn't go anymore. Good. But, uh,. She said, I got to talk with Jesus, Tommy. They told me that. She said, I got, she had three kids. She had one on each side and then a baby. She carried no arms. And then in her left hand, she, she got her tumor in her hand. And she said, I waddled myself down to Zouza Street. When she came in, now, Tom, Brother Anderson, Tom, his name was Tommy, Tommy Anderson. If he wasn't praying for anybody or nobody was down there speaking like Seymour or, He'd be up on top of a pew watching other people work miracles. He wanted to see everything that went on if he wasn't doing something. He didn't want to miss anything. Well I don't know how he feels I'm the same way. I don't want to miss it. And he he saw her come in and he leaped over to her and he said God is going to heal you tonight. Now Azusa Street had been going on for about a year and a half when this happened. So they, they no longer said, we believe God will heal you tonight. No, no, they said God is going to heal you tonight. Amen. They got, they, they knew, that they'd get their, their prayer answered. She said, I rolled my eyes back in my head and said, that's what I came here for. So Tommy started praying for her she says, Brother Tommy, I could feel that tumor getting smaller and smaller and within two minutes, it, it had disappeared. Now in 1914, God told Sister Diane to cook a pot of, of vegetable stew and take it down to the Skid Row and feed, the, feed the, the homeless. She got in her purse, dug out well, all she had, which was a quarter. She said, God, all I got's this quarter and God told her in all of a in an audible voice, that is sufficient. Now, in 1914, you could buy quite a bit of vegetables in a quarter. Things were a lot cheaper than they are now. And she did. Now, when I got there in 1960, Sister Diane had been honored by the mayor of Los Angeles, the head commissioner, and the governor of California. She was still feeding the hungry on Skid Row. That was 46 years later. But now she was having 10 meals a day and she fed 5,000 at a time. And when someone would get saved and they knew they were saved, they'd bring them to Pisgah. And Pisgah would give them a place to stay. And some of them even stayed and worked. That was during the time you had all the love ins and the hippies were going around, you know, with all these love ends of the, Tommy them?" I said, no, I want to be around the Saints of Azusa Street. I stayed around Pisgah. I didn't really like leaving the Pisgah grounds. Guys, it was like peace there. And, and some of the people, one of my favorite stories is, is a weird one. I call it the witch's nose. This woman had a nose that went out and hooked down. And Mother Mangrove said, that was the ugliest nose you ever saw in your life. And she said, "Just what are you wanting from God? She says, I want God to straighten my nose out. She had, looked like a witch's nose. She prayed for it, and now it took a few minutes, and that nose was just as straight. But the problem of it was, it came to a point. And she came back, she said, your nose is straight. I said, I know, but it's in a point, and I don't like the point. She said, well, let's pray again. Prayed, she's about Maybe 30 minutes ago. And she said, Brother Tommy, that woman had the prettiest nose I ever saw in my life. I said, wow. And uh, it was Mother Mangrum that told me about the woman. with The, the woman's legs had, were all twisted under, underneath her. And she walked by putting her hands down on the ground, pushing up, throwing her body out forward. And that's how she moved. Now, this woman, uh, Mother Mangrum prayed for her, and she said she could hear bones cracking and see this woman's legs straight, and she started rising. Not on feet, but just broken legs, and her legs straightened out right in front of her. And she said, Brother Thomas, she had the most beautiful legs you ever saw. She said, Betty Grable didn't have anything on this woman. Now, you older people know who I'm talking about. Back in those days, she had the most beautiful legs in the world. And, said, and she said, and she still does. I said, she still does? I said, this woman's still alive? She said, yeah, she's 98 years old, but she's still alive. Now, she lived to be 103. I got to know her quite well. I said, And she still got her legs? She said, yes. I said, I want to see them. Oh, well, okay, let's go. She said, I said, how far we got to go? She said, Tommy, she's right here in Pisgah. I said, wow. I said, I want to see him." I went over there and, I, and she didn't want to show me her legs. She was old fashioned and she's 98 years old. She didn't want some young buck looking at her legs. Sister, sister my, or Mother Riggs was getting on to and said, listen, you let the doctor see him." Well... But that's what said, no, no. This young man wants to see this miracle, and he needs to see it, because he's the one that's going to put these into a book. I got to see about that far, just a little above her knees, and that's it, folks. Well, that was sufficient for me. Those legs looked like a 30-year-old's legs, and they were pretty. The rest of her body wasn't that smooth, and it was old and wrinkled. And it amazed me. Now, I found out, I said, what did you ever do for God? I found out that she went and started a a, a little work for prostitutes who got pregnant. She would take them in and take care of them. In time they had the baby, they'd be delivered of prostitution. And there's two of them there I met that were ministers. And a bunch of others, she said, married preachers. I don't care what you lived before. It doesn't matter. As soon as you accept Jesus as your Savior, you become a brand new creature. That, to me, is the greatest miracle of them all. You, you wouldn't have liked me as a teenager, folks, before I got saved. Believe me, I wasn't all there. I'd have classified me with the Krillin Lee insane. You are not that person anymore. God changes you completely, especially your stinging thinking. Now, I, I, I loved old Brother Fox. I didn't get to meet him until 1963 when he retired as a missionary to India. And came back to America. Now I got to meet a lot of his. People he had gotten saved. And. and, 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 uh, They'd gone into the ministry. They'd come over to Pisgah. And visit Pisgah. And. uh, I got to meet him. Got to know several of them. I was really anxious to see. Brother Fox. Now brother Fox. One time he had he had a man who had a a, a school for the deaf. He had thirty five students and they kept wanting to go down to this Azusa Street, this warehouse. Finally, gave in and took them. He started laughing at Brother Fox who's trying to get them in a circle, all thirty five of them. They did. It was hard because they didn't understand what he was saying, and that instructor, he was laughing at him, and he looked up at him and said, that's all right, and in just a few minutes, you're not going to have a job. He got him in the circle, laid hands on one of them and prayed, stood back and said he heard a pop on the right hand, pop on the left, he said all of a sudden that man started screaming and hollering, said you couldn't understand what he was saying because they didn't know how to talk, but he was hollering and he was healed. And one by one, it went around the circle, all of those deaf people got healed. He looked back over at that instructor, and that instructor wasn't smiling anymore. He had lost his job. But I got infatuated with Seymour. Now, they had a, a phenomena there at Azusa Street. There was a substance that they called Shekinah Glory. It stayed about a foot high. And then once in a while, they'd have some some moves where that thing would swell, and it'd fill the whole building, and it would even get out on Azusa Street in San Pedro, San Pedro. And that's when the flame would shoot up out of the sky, out of the roof. It'd go up about 50 foot, and it would stop, and it'd sit there for a few seconds, maybe a minute, and all of a sudden, 50 foot from there, a ball of fire would appear. I mean, Supernaturally. It sounds like only something Hollywood could make up. And a stream of fire would come out of that ball of fire and go down and go through the fire coming up. Now I've had uh, Messianic Jews, the rabbis, call me and says, Brother Tommy, yeah, this is Brother Tommy, this is Rabbi so-and-so. Now y'all don't know how that feels for, for, for an old Protestant to have a rabbi calling him brother. It's nice. They seem to like me. He said, that fire going up and down. I said, yeah. He said, you know that's in the Old Testament? I said, it is. He said, those angels that was with Jacob in Jacob's letter, he says, they were called flaming ones. That means they were fire. They were angels, but they, they, were, they were flames. I said, wow. He said, we believe the fire going up or angels going back to heaven to get more miracles and the flames coming down where angels bring in more miracles. Cause that's when the big supernatural thing. The, and one of the stories of Seymour, the first one, was in 07. This man worked for the railroad there in, yard at there in, in Los Angeles, and he'd gotten his leg pinned by a, a train. And they amputated his leg about mid-thigh. Well, his leg had gotten gangrene where it went down, and it, they, they weren't very nice things back then, guys. They weren't nice like they are now. They kind of rough. They were wood, and you know, not, It had gotten gangrene, and he was having some problems. And he went to Seymour and, and, and told him what he had. Now he's wearing overalls, loose pants, and he says, "Can you balance on your left leg?" He said, "Yeah." He told some men, "Come on, take this wooden leg off." They took it off, and Brother Sides said he Seymour laid his hands on that man. shoulder, started praying for him. Says you could see the something popping, and then all of a sudden out, out shot a foot. God grew the leg back on. Oh, yeah. Seymour did not preach that night. You couldn't get everybody to shut up shouting until about two in the morning. I asked Sides, what What'd you do?" He says, "I don't know." Uh, when I came to myself, I was in the back of the church, and I had no idea how I got back there. He said, can you just imagine that, Tommy? Everybody was, I, I would have been one of those that went berserk. Amen. That's a pretty powerful, but my favorite is the arm. A year later, a man 10 years prior had got his whole shoulder and arm ripped out of his joint at a job accident. And this was uh, 08, so this means 1898, he'd got his arm ripped out. And he could only do minor work around the place. They put him back at the bottom of the pay list. But you didn't have back then workman's comp. You didn't have uh, any kind of of, of disability. You had to go to poorhouse. Or to a church you didn't get any help and and seymour asked him he says can you make a living with that he says well I, I, they pay me enough to barely feed my kids he said you got a family and kids yeah he says, it's not good folks he says hey it, y'all remember that leg that grew out last year Y'all want to have some fun again tonight they all shook their head yes he says look at that man he says if god gives you a new arm Will you pay ties if you get your old job back? He said, "Yeah." And he laughed. He said, I'm, "I'm just, I'm just having fun with you." He says, "That'll be between you and God." But he's uh, David Salazar, said, "Tommy, I was standing there looking right down that hole in on his arm. The meat was all black and rotten. The bones were just corroded, and the man was dying. He really was dying. He just, he never got well, and he said." Just in a few seconds, that meat started turning red. And then that bone started growing out. And it just came out, he said, in slow motion. And he said he thought it took two minutes. It probably took about three or four seconds if it took that long. But, you know, you're standing there looking at it. And he says, as the bone grew out, four inches, about four inches behind it, meat would form around it. In time, it got all out. Arm was whole, and he. I said, "When did you really get excited?" He said, "When I seen the fingernails pop on." on. I said, it, 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 it's, "It's." He, he said, "Steamboat didn't preach that night either." Now, how many've heard of Stead Roth? Edie is supernatural. He done a real good enactment of that healing. He really did do a good job. I've been on there several times. I like Sid. Now, years ago when I first went on there, I'm the one that prayed for Sid and he got healed of heart problem. And uh, he was dying, you could see he didn't look very good. They had to put a lot of makeup on him to make him look pretty good. And after I prayed for him, then had to put just enough to take the glare out. I didn't like that folks. I was sitting there and I remembered Brother Shambach, R.W. Shambach. Statement he made once. He's, they're putting it on at Trinity. film go out there. And, of course, I said it to this woman here, I says, Do you know I used to preach against this stuff? <laughs> and I didn't like it. And uh, neither did Roy Rogers. He didn't like the makeup either. I... uh." I just loved it. Sid, secretary told me, he says, Tommy, did you know that those, those, those DVDs of you, yeah, they sell more than anybody's. they still outselling. He said, so sometimes they outsell Sid's. I said, really? Do you all tell Sid? He said, no. <laughs> I thought that was funny. They don't tell Sid. But Sid and I get along fine. He, uh, he really likes being around me, and I like being around him. I believe in the supernatural. Either you believe God or you don't. Some people say, well, is there any pictures of this kind of, he, to verify them? I says, no, just like there weren't any in the book of Acts. Just like, how many pictures do you have of Jesus actually healing people? You don't have any. I said, either you believe this or you don't. And you believe it because the person telling them is either of God or they're of the devil. One of the two. I said, you don't have to believe it. And if you don't believe it, please don't come up and ask me to pray a prayer of impartation for you. Only the believers. Believe it. Now, I almost got to see Wigglesworth. We didn't quite get there in time, it was over. Had some bad weather from going from Oklahoma down to Texas. But I have I've even wondered upon him many times, God, why did you let me get to meet all these people, get to see them? And I mean, starting in 46 with Branham, on the way up and when Branham, I got to meet him was in December 1960 at Clifton's Cafeteria at the Full Gospel Businessman's Meeting. Now, I really love the Shekarians, Isaac and Demas. They're the founders of the Full Gospel Businessman. I can tell this now because Demas can't find out he's gone on to be with the Lord. I liked his daddy better than I did him. Isaac and his father, which would be Demas' grandfather, when he was a little boy, they'd go downtown Los Angeles and sell newspapers on Friday night and Saturday night. And the profit they got, they would go buy property in Compton, California. Back then there were just orange groves. And they only had to pay about $150, $200 an acre. It would shock you how much it is now. Man, property in Los Angeles is, whoo And I, uh, they they were dairymen. Of course, their dairy had 5,000 dairy cows. And all that produced from that dairy, they had their own stores to sell them in. It was called Allowance Dairy. And in, and in California, that's a pretty big dairy. And, uh, Demas had a little deal where they experimented and his little shop is the one that invented and came up with the artificial insemination. And Demas told me himself, he says, that's where we made the most money. Because for 17 years they had to pay him royalties on it if you use that method. And he said, we made a fortune on that. They don't even hardly use it anymore because... The cows don't like it. Now, I I really liked Brother Cantrell. Brother Cantrell was a retired four square preacher. Later on when Amy McPherson came to Los Angeles, he got with Amy. And, uh, of course he was retired now, He didn't live at Pisgah. He lived about six blocks away. But he was down at Pisgah all the time. Tommy Anderson lived a block away. And then Sister Goldie lived in Venice Beach. She came over to Pisgah once a month to tell me her stories. But uh, Cantrell, he... He had a few things that just really, <laughs> he had this one man that couldn't talk. They called him a deaf mute. He wasn't, he wasn't a mute, he wasn't deaf. He was tongue-tied, he couldn't talk. And he prayed for him to be healed, and he said, now say something. The man says, I told you I can't, t-. he said, oh yeah, I'll say that again. He was, all it was, his tongue His tongue. was glued down to the bottom of his mouth and and uh, God healed him marvelously but he uh, he's the one that always if I got a little sniffle I'll run into Brother, Con, Brother Contrail he prayed for me and every time I get healed every time I like that I could I didn't pay any attention if I didn't wear enough clothing and keep them getting a cold. I got a sniffle. I ran and I'm getting a sniffles. Pray for me. Now, uh, it cost me. Every time he prayed for me, I had to go comb my hair. Hey, guys, I had this nice duck tail, you know, that we had back in the 50s and 60s. And a big curl hanging down there. I thought that was cute. man. You didn't mess with my curl. I had to go comb my hair. It didn't take but about two minutes. But he, he, he I, I know he, he did it on purpose. He liked messing up my hairdo. But I always got healed. I liked that. I really did like that. Now, for you young ones, when we were kids, we hardly ever went to a doctor. If we got a little sick, our, my mother would bundle us up, take us to the church, and have the pastor and the elders lay hands on us, pray for us, and we always got healed. I mean, we only had a cold until we get to church. And we'd get healed. We need that back in the church. Amen. We're, we're, we're but That little thing like a headache or a cold, it didn't last very long. You went to church and got healed. You said, well, what about the big evangelists? They had the biggies. I'm going to tell you something. I've seen some miracles with them that boggled your mind. That's why I had no problem believing the Azusa Street Saints. And uh, I, uh, I like the story of, of, of uh, a few of the, of, of the uh, Langfords. Brother Langford was the Topeka connection. He went to Topeka, Kansas in 1903 to Parham, and came back a month later, I mean a year later, and introduced it on, on spring, on summer break, he introduced it to Dr. Yoakum. He received it, then both of them introduced it to the church, and Pisco was speaking in tongues in 1904. But the big revival didn't come through there. Uh, a man by the name of uh, Frank Barlaman had 26 prayer groups all around Los Angeles praying for a revival like they were having in Wales. They were having that kind of revival in Wales. And uh, one of them was the house on Bonnie Bray Street. Now, for you guys' information, the revival did not break loose at 312 Azusa Street. It broke loose at 214 Bonnie Bray. Then they had to move. And then why not move into Azusa? But that's where the Holy Spirit fell. And the only white dude there was uh, Frank Bartleman. All the rest of them were blacks, browns, reds, and yellows. And Frank didn't care. He's the one that wrote the book in 1924. Uh, originally it was called When Pentecost Came to Los Angeles. Then later on they rewrote it. He called it Azusa Street, an eyewitness account, and uh, Frank—that was one of his prayer groups—and he'd have to, you know, ride over there. But uh, he—he really—he really didn't become completely segregated. For y'all's information, Azusa Street was the first integrated church in America. Fully integrated was Azusa Street. And like Frank said in his book, the color line was broken by the blood. They didn't have that problem. 1906. Now, when uh, Seymour first met Parham in in Houston, Texas, uh, Houston was a different story. Parham had to sit out in the aisle and listen to a crack in the door because of his color. Because if they'd let him come in there, the authorities would come down and arrest him and arrest Parham. Called Jim Crow law. Houston, they said, but why didn't Seymour just have that revival in Houston? I said, he couldn't. He wanted an integrated church and I said, couldn't have it in Houston. I said, they enforced the Jim Crow law. But I said, Los Angeles ignored it. <laughs> there was a law, but they never did enforce it. And uh, when uh, I first went to Azusa Street, it was just a parking lot, a dirt parking lot. And when I saw it in 2008, they kept begging me to come down there. So finally, I came down there, had a wonderful time. It was in little Tokyo. The Japanese owned all that land in there. Now, they were going to build their Japanese cultural center right there on the spot. And the, the, the historical society came down and said, no, you won't. Then you'll start a riot down here. This place is a religious historical landmark. They finally settled on it and let them build it where they used to park the, the horses and the buggies. There weren't no cars, not that many cars back in 1906, folks. There were horses and buggies. The cars came along in 19-teens and 20s. And they didn't tear that place down until 1933. And uh, it's all red brick now. Beautiful. Beautiful there. But you can still feel that anointing. And, and, and the thing of it is, I sit there looking. Okay, now this is where they say Seymour sat with the box on his head. I sit there and I can feel that anointing. Right now, today, I go there and I can feel it. I like being with some. I said, now some of you new ones, you see this grapefruit tree here? This is, boy, it's tall. I said, yeah. Looks old, doesn't it? I say, it was here in 1906. It was producing grapefruit. And here, 2000. this was just a, about a week ago, guys. I said, here it is over, a, over 110 years. It was 111 years now. It's still producing grapefruits. This is the anointed grapefruit. I said that in, in 2008, and now they have to have a, a guard around it. Or people will climb up and, knock, and get grapefruits. And he has to watch them or people will take their shoe off and throw up there and hit one of them grapefruits. And knock it down to get it. They're really having a problem with it. And who do you think that guard blames for that? I just smile at him. Go on. He says, you're the first one to, 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 to throw your shoe up there. I said, it was my boot. He says, you're the first thief. I said, Calm down, man. Don't get to get so hostile. But I admit I was the first one to get a grapefruit there. I took it down and we got it apart. and we, we Me and my wife, we drank the juice, but we picked all the seeds out. We got all the seeds now. Now, in, in, in Sun City, Arizona, we can grow grapefruits, oranges, fig trees, olives, and we have them. But we yet have not planted one to grow the anointed grapefruits. But it's a sight to see. But the most anointed is there at Bonnie Bray. Now, listen. When I go around Los Angeles, and they have to have a tour, and I'm, why do you want me to be the tour? Well, Tommy, I said, you've got all these others that know all these places. No, but they can't tell us the stories like you do. He says, you make it come alive. I says, am I that good? Wow, what do you know? Now, I sat there where Seymour sat, and I'm looking out there and thought, this is where it happened. I keep looking down to see some Shekinah glory. I haven't seen any there yet. But they had that... Uh, Auditorium rented out in the convention center, Japanese convention center. or, or was it? I, I'm looking. Fed up there speaking around, and I'm looking there, and I'm thinking, how many see that up there? It wasn't very far above his head. There was a ball of Shekinah glory. And I get to see it now and then. He says, everybody see it? I said, no, but there's some that see it. I said, everybody couldn't see it there at Sousa Street. But 95% of them did. But it was so thick there, I don't see how they could have missed it. I don't see how that one out of 20 could have missed it. But there's some people so much against it, they couldn't see it if it walked up and slapped them in the face. They couldn't see it. Some just can't do it, folks. Some just don't ever get it. They really don't. But I want to be one of those that get it. Okay, now, I don't teach doctrine but one. Doctrine is up to your pastors and your elders. They're responsible for your spiritual well-being. They have to give an answer to God for your spiritual well-being. I don't. I came here to tell you, I'm hoping I'll build a fire underneath you. And you'll catch that fire. And know that you can do the same things they did. What am I mainly? I'm mainly a revivalist. I want revival. There are many revivals going around the world right now. And they didn't start while I was there. They started after I left. I don't care. I want revival. You don't even have to. Don't put the blame on me. Put the blame on God. God's the one that does the miracles. God does. And and, and uh, I can't save you. I can tell you how to get saved. But it's God that saves you. Not Tommy. Now, I teach. Jesus said these signs shall follow those who believe. Now, everybody is not called. Five-fold ministry they're callings. you got to be called to those. But the gifts, anybody can work the gifts. It says, these signs shall follow those who believe. He said, they'll cast out devils. Hey, you guys, I think it's fun casting out devils. I like it. I enjoy doing it. It's a marvel to me that these sick demons, they have to do what I say. I like that. I like casting them out. Then it says, You'll heal the sick. And it says, You'll raise the dead. Now, I've not been that hot on the dead. I've only raised three. And one of them them was a few years ago up at Prayer Mountain with Billy Brim. But, uh, and it says, uh, You'll speak with a new tongue. Well,. I think we should be practicing it. There's some places won't allow it. It's sad, even some churches, they're called super sensitive. They do not minister to people in the, in the services. They have a back room. And I actually had one of them want me to come in, and I says, no you don't, because I ain't going to your back room. I said, I'm going to minister to, if, if, if I pray for somebody, I'm going to do it right in front of everybody else and I want the people to see it. They said, does everybody get healed? No. But those who believe do. I said, look, I mainly came to pray a prayer of impartation of the anointing. It's the anointing that breaks the yoke, folks. You see, why are those stories so important? So, so, so successful because they're anointed. The stories are anointed. Believe me, those people had anointing. They didn't quit working miracles. When I was there at the at, at, at Pisgah, I saw all kinds of miracles from them people. I ain't got to see some of them myself. Especially casting out devils. Old Norval Hayes, he really liked me. He says, says, that brother back there, he didn't know me. He says, you like casting out devils, don't you? yeah. He said, come up here with me and help me. I ran up there with him. And and that night, we had fun casting devils. (laughs) He was known as a devil chaser. Now, he kind of went overboard for a while there until Brother Hagin got a hold of him and talked talked to him. Tell me your name. I don't care what his name is. I don't like him anyhow. I don't want to know their name. I just want him. I just want people to be free of them. and, and uh, But every one of you, there were some kids, are you kids listening? As young as five years old, going up at Azusa Street to people in wheelchairs, and they'd do their carny law and put the flaps up, pray for them, and the people would get up out of the wheelchairs and walk and be healed. As young as five years old had a man in Oklahoma City, Brother Tommy, I like your talking about the young people being used. I said, yeah, me too. He said, I'm having a revival of my uncle's church there in Portland, Portland Pentecostal Holiness. Would you come? I said, sure, if I can. I said, now, if I, if I get to go speak, I'm going to go speak. But I'll come when I'm not doing something. I came there, and my was says about a six-year-old girl came up. And he says, "Honey, why are you standing there crying?" She says, "Oh, don't you see him?" He says, oh, "Sweetheart, I'm sorry." What? She says, "There's Jesus sitting right over there." And I looked over. I looked. I didn't see him. And after a while, I've seen kind of a mist. And I've seen the form change. And I said, "Oh, oh God, do I get to see this?" And, and she stood for a long time. She says, "He's been here all day." <laughs> and he says, "Jesus has been yes." She says, I've talked to him, why don't you? He looked back over at me and I says, i would never, never seen that before. Now, uh, I went to a church in, uh, it was in Chandler, Arizona. And, and I, I, they brought all the kids down front to listen to me tell stories. And I kept looking over at this little six-year-old girl, blonde-haired, real pretty. And I said, okay, now, God, what's going on here? I ain't no sex pervert. Why am I attracted to this little girl? Now, that's how I talk to God, just like he's my daddy. And I want to know what's going on. I didn't like that. He said, she talks to angels. I said, huh? What? I said, she talks to angels. I said, can I tell her that? He said, yes, well, she, they're going to have the kids come up to you. You tell her. When she came up to me, I, I didn't know at the time, at her church and at her school, she'd tell her stories and kids were making fun of her. Well, it stopped that day, because she came up and I says, I got her by the hands, I said, look at me, sweetheart. I says, God told me you talk to angels. Her Yes, I do. I says, well, I'm gonna have a talk with your mother and your grandma, who are the pastors of the church. I'm going to have a good talk with them. They're going to quit giving you a hard time. We need to know what the angels are saying to you. And she, she's made many prophecies. And hey, guys, they come to pass. She's talking to those angels. So be careful when you get on to your kids when they say they've talked to God. Some of them do. I thought it was something wonderful. I still give that... Pastor, a call to Grandma. She's not that old, folks, but. How is our little angel talker doing? Tommy, she's got too many. Well, let me read this to you. Just a minute. I get my pen and pad down. I want to know what the angel said. And she's told me several of them, and they've come to pass. God will use, now listen to me, you older people, you're not off the hook. Now, I, the church I go to, we're all retired people. Some of them, but Brother Tommy, I'm, I, said, I, I that, don't give me your age. It doesn't matter. I said, listen to me. From your labors, you can retire, but you cannot retire from a call. If you're called of God, you're called of God, and you will be to the day you go into the grave. And it may not stop there. <laughs> you're anointed. You're anointed in a call, and, 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 and the, the the anointing is is without repentance. Amen. You can't. You don't. No. My wife says, "How can somebody get into sin and still be praying?" I said, "Because they're still anointed." I said, "They'll have to." I said. I'm going to be frank with you. Some of these sickos, I believe are the ones that went up to Jesus and said, are the ones that say, Lord, I cast out devils in your name. I heal the sick. I raised the dead. And he'll say to you them, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. I says, who's done that? I said, now, nah, now, nah, don't get me on that. I'm not going to tell on nobody. Don't be careful of what you say about An anointed person of God, man or woman. It says, Touch not mine anointed and do my prophets no harm. So be careful. Besides that, I didn't come here to condemn anybody. All I'm telling you, older folks, is, is don't give me an excuse that you're old. I'm not young myself. You can work the gifts just like anybody else. I don't care if you're three years old or 120. If you're breathing and you can talk, you can work the gifts. Anybody that believes should be having those signs follow them. Do all of us? No, very few of us do. Why? Because we don't have faith and we don't believe we don't go in there and practice it. You young people, don't be afraid to pray for me. One of my best stories of beyond, and Michelle Griffith likes the best, is the little towel girl in Banning, California. That's where I was first branded. Some of them like called me names. They said I'm the last living link to Azusa Street. And I said, oh, dear Lord, that sounds prehistoric. (laughs) The last? I'm not. There are others that have been. as. I'm not the last living link. There's at least one other. She's a very old woman, and she got to see the last part of it. And her mother was at the beginning as a child. And she can tell some of the stories I tell. Because her mother was there and saw them and told them to her. And she got to see, she never got to see Seymour, but she got to see Sister Jenny Moore, Seymour, and uh, Daddy Clark. Now, I got to know Daddy Clark. He lived to be 100, almost to his 110th birthday. And listen to me, you older people. Two weeks before he died, he preached. Now, that was one of the living links. But he never got to meet Seymour. He didn't get there until night. 19- he did just buried Seymour in 1922. Some of them said, why did they think you're such a historian, Tommy? Well, for 40 years, I couldn't tell the stories. I'd hear Jesus' voice, Tommy, be patient and be obedient. God has his time. We need to learn to wait and do it, and God says do it. I wasn't aware that he wasn't going to start it until the one, exact 100th anniversary of Azusa Street. And that's why Tommy Hicks, when he made that promise to me, we won't be here, but you will be. When he told me that, I would not been 19 years old. That's a long time ago, folks. That was a long time ago over 50 years ago, that he told me that. So he knew what he was talking about. Branham, in, in 2009, at the, at the Clifton's cafeteria, he was coming down and going to go up to speak. I'm bouncing, I'm not scared of him anymore. I had the same Holy Ghost he did. So I'm bouncing up and down to yell, praise the Lord, Brother Branham. Dennis Bennett standing right behind me. Dennis Bennett was the leader of the charismatic movement. Uh, I don't remember if he was Episcopalian or Presbyterian. Episcopal, I think it was Episcopal, Church of England. And he's very tall. He's taller than me. And Branham's Brandon not, Branham's short. He came walking by and he stopped right in front of me and he looked up at me and he got, kind of laughed He took a couple more steps. He turned around and looked at me and says, yeah, you're the one. I said, yeah, and he went on. Then he says, Tommy, you know him? I said, I know him real well. He just don't know me. (laughs) He said, but Tommy, what was he saying there? I said, I don't know, but I wouldn't go argue with no prophet. (laughs) But whatever he saw, that's the one. There's been many tell me now, Tommy, he saw. He'd been to Pisgah. Branham did in 57. He knew a lot of those older people. And they had told him, we're waiting for the one that God show us to tell the stories. That they, they believed that's what he was saying. He saw it. You're the one. I thought, wow, I think you're right. I really like that. And, and uh, I was there in 1965, me and my wife, when Branham prophesied his own death. He had got through working the gifts and then he said, folks, I'm going to South Africa. And when I come back, I'm going to get my house in order because the Lord's taking me home. Well, a lot of people went, "No!" Oh. and then he says, no, no, no. He says, people, listen to me. There are people in my circles that believe I'm God. And they worship me. And he said, God won't share his glory with another. He's taking me out. He said, and as the prophet Elijah went in a chariot, and he smelled so shall I go in a chariot. Now, some people took what he said and twisted it. It said he claimed to be Elijah. No, he didn't. He just said he was going to go in a church, And he died as a result of an automobile accident. His wife was killed in it. But of course, he got his son to brag her over there to him, lay his hand on her. He prayed for her, raised her from the dead. Sounds a lot like another prophet, doesn't it? Like Bugglesworth. But he didn't claim to be that. But we were there when he made that prophecy. And I, I sit and think, why did I get to know these people? And so many times, God's, every time I get a word from God is for this time. Now I sit and amazed. I get to travel all over the world. And when I'm in these foreign countries, I say, how did you hear about me? Idiot Supernatural is a big program over here. And Sid Roth plays it times you came on there many times. So we get to see you. I said, oh, okay. I said, he says, Tommy, they even get to see you over in Iran. Because they allow them to have computers. They allow them to go on the YouTube, whatever it is. I said, whoa, okay. Now, I'll take a few question and answers because it's getting late. Oh, no, it's, not. it's only a little after ten. That's what it is in Phoenix. <laughs> 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 I want to take some question and answers, and uh, you, uh, and then I'll, I'll I'll do a prayer of impartation of the anointing for everybody. I love to tell what God has done, what he will do, and what he is doing. That God that was there at Azusa Street is still here today. Now, I kind of agree with Billy Brim. She said, the book of Acts was the former reign. She said, Azusa Street was the latter reign. And then I get a little embarrassed. She'll pull over and say, and this man is, is, is the forerunner to the Former and latter reign together. I look at her, oh boy, she says, What do you think that hundred year prophecy was about? I won't argue about it, but I don't like tooting my own horn. And I get embarrassed if you get too much with me. There's a lot of people who have a lot of questions they'd like to ask. We'll take a little bit on that. Is there anyone got a question? Yes. Have
2: you ever met or do you know the child that Brandon prayed for, that the mother, it was his last service and she brought the child in, no arms, no legs, no eyes. He's still living, he's in the Midwest. Paul Keith Davis knows him. Do you know that story? It it creates miracles in the atmosphere when it's told. He's still alive. He's in his fifties.
1: What's the name?
2: I don't know, but I know Brandon paid for them and I know R. W. Schambach was there. He was the worship leader at that service.
1: RW Shambach. I love that man. I I I I I have kin folks around Tyler, Texas. And I've gone up there many times just sit he and a he and I just sit in his living room and talk. Now you say there was a mother?
2: Yes, and she um went to the hospital got her son um and brought him to the meeting and brandon prayed for him and legs grew arms grew and genitals grew eyes came into the socket ears c- came he never left the hospital when he was born and it's written in some of the uh, yeah. publications but i i thought maybe you might have
1: no no did he go to Shambok?
2: No, to Branham.
1: But oh, at Brother that meeting,
2: Schambach was the worship leader. I've heard talk, him tell the now story. Now you're not
1: talking about the kid he raised in the dead.
2: No, this child was alive, but more than a, not even equal to a vegetable.
1: I don't know. I've seen hundreds and hundreds of miracles with Branham, but I didn't get to see them all. I'm not placing that. Okay. Well, I would love to. I'd love. To. I, I like the story. <laughs> uh, my biggest deal with Brandon on raising on raising the dead was in Old Mexico when that little boy had been dead for four days and four nights, and a woman was carrying this blanket up, and it stunk. The child had been dead four days and four nights, and it was. And he told the Police said, No, let her come up here. This is the vision I saw. He said, folks, this miracle will break the revival in Mexico City wide open. He brought it up there and he says, Is this your son? Yes. He said, How long has he been dead? A little over four days. He opened the blanket up and he was bloated and dead and stinking. Brandon raised him up and the sky and said, Lord, this is the vision you showed me that will cause revival here in Mexico City he's like a man new child over that kid finally coughed and started kicking he started crying then it was hard for the police They finally had to get the military to to keep Branham from getting mobbed they all wanted to touch him and uh, he's that's the saddest thing about things he says I didn't raise him to dead. he said God raised him <laughs> and And the thing of it is, is that, but uh, I've seen some miracles with Branham. Oh, man. And my biggest thing with him was when he told that man. Some say, that was Wigglesworth. I says, no. I know what happened with Branham. The man had no feet. Branham prayed for him, and I heard it the first time from Jack Cole. Jack Cole thought he was of the that this discerning of spirits was was of the devil, and he came by and Brandon was Cole was standing there. Brandon stopped, looked up at him, says, "I'm sir. We're serving the same God, the same God, brother. We're in the ministry together. We're not to be." He didn't read him off. He said. Then Brandon went on. He thought, "Oh dear God, that wasn't the devil." So he was wrong, and he admitted. And Branham, uh, he said, were you there? I said, now, Brother Cole, I was there, but I didn't see what you saw. I saw Branham pray for that man and tell him, says, on your way home tonight, stop by a shoe store and get the size shoes you normally wear, that you want to wear, and get some socks. Take them home, put them by your bed. He said, when you wake up in the morning, you will put the socks and shoes on. Now, he had no feet. Well, now, Cole heard that. So he went and found the man's name, his address. Well, he went there early in the morning. He wanted to see this. The woman opened the door and says, Jack Cole. Yes, I want to see this. She says, come on in with the rest of us. (laughs) There have been many people that have done the same thing Cole had done. So they got there. She says, it's about time for him to wake up. He woke up every morning at the same time. They opened the door and looked in there looking at him. And says, all of a sudden, on them sheets, you know, the covers, two lumps appeared. A man sitting there looking at him. He threw the cover back and there his feet were. He sat up and she said, honey, don't jump up and start dancing. You get up and put your socks on and your shoes like the prophet told you. And he looked over at her and he's sitting there and he can't cry. He's crying. He, says, and he slowly got up and put his socks on. But then he got up and cut a rug. <laughs> so see, when you see things like that, when them people of Azusa Street started telling me their stories, I had no doubts. Now, anyone else got a question? Oh, good. Then we can do the prayer. Now, I'm going to do what we call a corporate prayer. I'll stand up and reach my hands out to you. And you stand up. Now, if you don't want this, don't stand up. You don't want it, you won't get it. The Holy Ghost is a gentleman. He won't force himself on anybody. If you don't want it, you won't get it. But listen, I don't know about you, but I want it. And I want more of it. Some say, well, you're already anointed. I, I don't care. When I was up there with Brother uh, Kenneth Copeland, and he was speaking, he kept coming by and laying his hand on my shoulder. He just keep on preaching. and then going. And about 10 times during that sermon, he did that. My wife says, why was Kenneth Copeland putting his hands on your shoulder? I said, he's getting my anointing. <laughs> I said, and when he's laying his hand on my, I get his anointing. I said, you don't get too much of the anointing. God, I can't do anything without the anointing. I'll just be honest with you. I have to depend on the anointing. Not me. If you're thinking I can do something, you're not going to get it. I have an anointing that anointing is the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost will do the work and what you're wanting rely on God doing it but I'm going to pray that prayer of importation of the anointing and then I'll come down here and if, if we got time which I think we do I'll pray for you and, and, and some say how do you know you'll be in the anointing I don't know how not to be in the anointing And I don't want to be. I don't want to have a time of my life that I'm not in the anointing. There's times I wake up at night and I feel that anointing. I'm getting up go to the bathroom while I'm going there speaking in tongues. I'm doing my little job speaking in tongues. I come back to bed speaking in tongues and in two minutes I'm sound asleep. I live in the anointing. I don't want to be without it. That's one thing my wife agrees with me on. (laughs) And as many times I come back to bed and she now we don't sleep together anymore. She has her house and I have mine. They're right next to each other. I see more of her now than I ever did before. Uh, Now we do sleep together once in a while. But the thing of it is, if I come back to bed years ago, And I'm speaking in tongues, she'll reach over and grab that hand of mine, lay it on her head (laughs) until I go to sleep. (laughs) I thought that was pretty wise. She thought, well, I got the same God he's got, I'm on his anointing. I thought, now you're using sense, darling. Now you're getting wisdom. I said, Marlene, you have an anointing. Do you think I do? I said, no, I know you do. I said, I want your anointing. I said, we're to be a team. We really are. Husbands and wives are to be a team. Well, I don't. I said, well, then don't be one. But you can be. Now, some people are not called. My wife is not called to teach and preach. And she's terrified of getting in front of people and talking. Very intelligent woman. Very intelligent. But she she feared getting up and looking at people to listen, my calling is of God, and I don't have any apologies for it. I used to be shy until Brother Cantrell laid hands on me, prayed for me to receive holy boldness, and I've had a lot of ministers tell me, Tommy, he overprayed that prayer. <laughs> because now I don't meet a stranger. I don't care who it is. I've been with ex-presidents, walk right up and shake their hands, talk to them, senators, house representatives. I don't fear these people. They're supposed to be working for me. I walk right up and tell them what I want. David Bourne one time, I called him and he called me back. He's, he knew my Uncle Tom real well. He says, Mr. Welcher, what is, did you? My, 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 my secretary said, you want me to get a law up. He says, you tell me that law you want," And he's laughing. I says, I want you to get a law up that it would be illegal for any of them tornadoes in Texas to cross the Red River. <laughs> he's laughing. You know, Mr. Wilson, I'm going to do it. He did, folks. He got the law up, took it up to, to the Senate. But they, they laughed at him. But he says, he got one vote. I uh, said, I voted for it. He said, I think it'd be a good law. He says, old Tom Hendricks, he told me you were a nut. I says, he did. I was surprised. (laughs) But uh, listen, God loves each and every one of you, and he wants every one of you to receive the anointing. And every one of you can pray for people and they can get healed. Every one of you that believe. You have to believe that God meant what he said and that he wasn't lying. He said these signs shall follow. And that's what he means. And you can, will all of it do it? No, because all of you don't believe. You're going to have to believe. Are you all ready? Yes. Heavenly Father, we come to you in that lovely name of Jesus. I'm asking right now that you're anointing. Flow out now. I'm asking that they receive the anointings I received from the saints of Azusa Street when they laid their hands on me and imparted their anointings to me. And when I laid on Seymour's grave and received his anointings, God, that they, these, these anointings be imputed to them that God, they receive a transformation of those anointings in Jesus' name.